1: My name is Dimitri Filipovich. Joining me is not only one but two special
2: guests. It's uh, Dom Lucijan and Rob Pozolo. What's going on, guys? I actually don't know how Dom's last name is pronounced, and that was like really nice and clean. Can you do that one more time?
1: Yeah, it's Dom Lucijan. Lucijan.
2: There we go. Yeah. Great.
0: It's, uh, right. It's a solid nine out of ten pronunciation. Um, I was on. Uh, the athletics podcast, we have a new podcast and Haley, I've never heard her pronounce my name. I think I did Puck talks with her once and she practiced a lot and I think it just spaced out cause it was one of my first Puck talks and this girl nailed it. 11 out of 10 pronunciation. I was, I was literally like flabbergasted by how good it was. Hmm. So you need a good pronunciation. That's the, that's what you well, listen to.
1: I've had, first off, I've had you on the podcast a bunch, so I'd hope I'd mm-hmm. be getting it by now. We've come mm-hmm. a long way since the loose, chi- loose chicken days. And uh, and yeah, I've, I've uh, both of you guys have come to my swanky Airbnbs whenever I've been in Toronto and done podcasts with me. So <laughs> we're doing it virtually this time. And uh, yeah, it's going to be fun. I, I thought everyone's doing kind of picks and prediction shows with the season starting on Wednesday. And rather than just making the usual list of just going by each award and saying which four teams we think are going to make the playoffs in each division, I thought it'd be more fun to... Do kind of like a gambling element to it, and actually um, provide some actionable advice for listeners. Because I know that that's definitely a growing um, it's a growing fan base in the NHL. It's certainly not where it is in, in, in other leagues, but I think there is some interest in it. So you two both uh, know what you are talking about much more than I do in, in this avenue. So I am looking forward to it. Um, let's start with strategy. I am, you know, forgetting all the other factors that make this a unique circumstance, and there is so many to choose from, right? seven teams haven't played in like 10 months. Um, there's no fans in most of the rinks. There's a pandemic still raging on, and I'm sure that um, wow. we're going to see stretches where players just are out of the lineup and teams aren't are fielding weird combinations of players. Um, how much does the 56-game format increase the, the range of outcomes or maybe, uh, to phrase it differently, decrease our confidence in true talent actually winning out and teams winding up where they should be? Because I know that In the 48-game season during the 2013 lockout, there was some really wonky results, especially in terms of like PDO-driven performances like the Leafs, for example.
0: Yeah, the Leafs were the number one team on my mind. Uh, Me and Rob, obviously from Toronto, we watched that team often. And that team in 2012-13 was hot trash. And somehow, they not only made the playoffs, but they took the Bruins to seven games somehow still not sure how it happened but that season was the reason i got into analytics because or maybe it was the season before but i saw this team with my eyes that made zero sense and i'm like there needs to be a better way and i think we're gonna see a fair bit of that this year every year around the 56 game mark there's still teams that are hanging around that maybe have no business to i remember last year i think winnipeg was still in a very comfortable position and then 14 games later they had a a rough ending there they were sort of on the bubble instead and i do think there'll be an element to that i think the whole covid thing the fact is a condensed schedule with a lot of tired teams it's going to be it's going to be very interesting and a lot of uh probably a lot of pain for the people putting money on it
2: maybe maybe not i mean the element of the unknown is i kind of like it a little bit in betting sometimes um so the reality is when you're betting into a market you're betting against other people right you just have to be able to predict these outcomes better than other people who are betting into the same market so i think if you have decent hypotheses hypotheses and you're prepared going into the year that can work to your advantage but then as a you know as someone with a statistical background I'm sure I'm going to be pulling my hair out at times this year. Um, Just really trying to understand some of the factors that are in play, um, how this condensed schedule is going to impact teams. Like I look at a team like Dallas, who is already going to be delayed to start the year and starting to try to quantify the impact of having that schedule condensed even more as they try to make up games going on later into the year. So there's, there's going to be a number of things. Do younger teams have an advantage? now versus teams that are a little bit older I have all these these things that I'm I'm kind of thinking about going into the year and we're not going to really be able to you know we're going to have to make a judgment call at, at some point early in the season as to whether these are real or not and whether or not they should be incorporated or whether they shouldn't be and that's a little bit scary but I, I kind of like I don't want to say thrive but you know I've, I've yeah I guess maybe so like I flourish under under having to make those tough decisions So i guess i am looking forward to it um just just the unknown but there there will be times where i'm certainly pulling my hair out this year
0: yeah i i do agree with all of that the thing i was thinking about is betting early on a team and then having their entire team or like three guys yeah. sidelined with something and i think that's there's more area for that this year uh but yeah just knowing more than the people you're betting against is basically the biggest thing
2: but 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 even that dom um is it it can work in your favor it can work against you mm-hmm. right you mm-hmm. might you might bet on a team and then the opposing team has players out with covid um so it's it's really just a coin flip from that perspective but yeah i mean there's going to be a lot of times this year where you're going you know anyone who's choosing to bet into early markets Um, there's way more unknown than there has been in years past. And you always have to take some level of risk, right? Like, you know, um, goalies are not, you know, not certain until uh, after pregame skates. And even in that case, they're not certain, Mm -hmm. but we still bet before goalies are confirmed in a lot of cases, because we want to get out ahead of where the market is going to take a line. Um, So it's just kind of like a balancing act, but yeah, it can work in your favor. It can work
0: against you. I'm just speaking historically of things mostly not working in my favor
1: <laughs> we'll get into more of that in a minute here but I, I so this is you Rob you're kind of mentioning um, having a working hypothesis and then going off of that especially to get early action like something that I've been thinking a lot about in preparation for this season and, and we've seen it in the NBA a little bit where, it feels like at least there's been some really uh, lopsided results or some kind of like wacky blowouts where you just see a team down by like 60 points and you're just like, okay, like this probably would not have happened during a regular season for any number of uh, reasons. I wonder if we're going to see a more extreme gap between the good and the bad teams this season, because if you're a bad team that's rebuilding, um, this kind of is the the best year to just bottom out right because you're only gonna suck for four months it's gonna fly by there's no fans in the in the rink so you're not upsetting people really i've seen elliot friedman talk about how certain owners want to put their foot best foot forward this year because they want next season when fans are allowed to get excitement and to kind of do right by the fans and have them lining up to buy season tickets again but i think fans are pretty smart for the most part if you are a rebuilding team you probably know like our best outcome here is just suck for a couple months. I'll still enjoy watching our young players. And then we're going to have a top five pick in the, in the summer. And so I wonder if not that teams would ever just like openly tank like that. But I do wonder once the season gets going, if we're going to see the bad teams be extra bad, because it's
2: kind of like the most palatable season to do so. I, I, I don't believe so personally. And and the reason I uh, I would say no to that is try, try telling that to the players. Right. I mean, at the end of the day, there's some level of professional pride. At least I think so where even someone on the red wings is going into this year and saying, you know, top four in the division that's possible. Um, This, you know, senators, Kings, like all these bottom feeding teams. I I do believe that those players are legitimately going into the year, thinking that they can make the playoff suspension, especially in a season with this variance. I do think there's going to be all sorts of quirky things that happen this year. Like how does a team play a back to back to back, for example? Um, And if they're trailing, you know, for nothing early on in the first period, or in the first period at any point, do they just, you know, let the fourth third and fourth liners play no, very well, knowing that the next night they're going to play the exact same team in a similar situation. And maybe they will be a little bit more rested. So like there, there's all these things that, that play a factor, but um, I, I don't necessarily think we're going to see like a, a higher range between the teams than we have in, in years past. At least I'm going into the year, hoping that we don't throw am going to be pretty far off. Well,
1: okay so here i'll give you an example um i don't think the players certainly i think the players when they're on the ice they try their hardest but i think there might be situations where a team can sort of strategically be precautionary with a star player and maybe keep them out Mm -hmm. and if you're out for four to six weeks that's gonna be what 20 Mm -hmm. games of the season or something like i you know i i I, not to make light of the matter like i really hope he gets well and we see him on the ice because i'm sure he wants to play but like, how is Chicago going to handle the Jonathan Taves situation? Like, do we know with any certainty that he's going to be back at all this year? Like, I, I I've yet to sort of see any reports. It kind of seems up in the air. And as the season gets going, it seems like, especially if they're going to be bad, it becomes more likely that he's going to be held out for an extended period of time as opposed to rushing him back in the lineup.
2: It's valid. I mean, the the reality is though, there there's so much variance in hockey that Chicago could come out and win seven of their first 10 games or eight of their first 10 right. games. And then all of a sudden the, the conversation flips on his head to, you know, we need to try to get Taves back in the lineup as quickly as possible type of thing. So I do agree. There's probably some element of that. And, and there's all sorts of things that, I mean, it's just something that we really haven't experienced before. Uh, I mean, yes, we have experienced shortened seasons, but now the COVID factor on top of that, it, it's, it's kind of like a league of its own at, at this point. So I, I can see that being the case. Uh, it's really tough going into the year to really try to figure out how this, this year is going to play out. But
1: yeah. Well, I guess if you're, a, if you're a fringe team, you're looking at that 56 game sprint and thinking we don't need to be that good for that long to make a little run here. Right? Like it seems like if, if anything, it might kind of embolden you to um, really try to go for it this year, because maybe in an 82 game season, you feel like
2: your talent wouldn't win out, but in this case, you might actually have a bit of an advantage. Well, it's, I mean, for me, just historically speaking, the the range on teams prior to the NHL trade deadline is much less than post deadline. There is there is like a motivational factor. Um, you, we could because I think teams are going to be in it longer in the races longer, so to speak, um, and have something to play for longer. You still get that that parity that I think has driven the NHL for a long time, and I, I you know I don't think we're going to get to it um, a state halfway through the year where we know that a bunch of teams are out of it. And all of a sudden it just becomes, you know, that team getting blasted by everyone that they face, which happened to pretty much, you know, happens to a handful of teams every single season. So, um, we'll see. I mean, I I do think that this condensed schedule and the way that the divisions are set up, I, I think it just lends itself to so much more variance this year. And I, I think like we might end up at the end of the year scratching our heads, wondering, like, how, how did this happen? How did some of these things actually happen this year? So uh, I will embrace the variance this year.
1: That's me every single season. <laughs> how, how did this happen? What do you, what yeah. do you, how do you feel about it, Dom? What do you think?
0: I, I'm trying to think of, like, which team has the most how-did-this-happen energy going into the season. And... Uh, I guess I can't really think of anything now because it hasn't well, happened yet, but...
1: Right, if you if you could think of them, then you'd probably be much higher on them this season. Yeah. Um, okay, I'll give you guys a second sort of working theory that I have right now and tell me what you think about this one. So I think teams like, say, Columbus and maybe even more so the Islanders have a bit of an advantage heading into the into the start of the season, at least, because all we're hearing is, you know, there's no preseason games, there's very limited practice time, especially teams that have gone through a lot of change. How long is it going to take them to sort of figure out what their best lineup combinations are, figure out how to best use their players, what their system is, especially with a team like the Islanders. I find it hard to believe that in game two of the season, they're going to be trying to figure out how to best play. Like, it seems like they already have this ironed out system, ironed out structure. They're bringing back pretty much all the same players. They're just going to roll out and do what they've been doing the past couple of years. Now, you know, especially for a team like the Islanders, it's pretty thin. If they have a big injury like they had with Adam Pellick last year and he's out for an extended period of time, they're probably pretty screwed and there's no coming back from that. But it feels like, especially for those kind of max effort defensive teams, doing this over 56 games probably seems like a much more palatable option than stretching it out and trying to kind of hold on for 82.
0: You know what's interesting about that is the Islanders started so strong last year. And then sort of faded. And then in the bubble, they were one of the strongest teams right at the gate, too. And so I do feel like there's something there to that hypothesis where those teams that have that structure, that have the continuity, can get right into the swing of things quicker than, say, a team like Toronto, where everyone is different around the edges of the, that core.
2: It's interesting, for sure. Especially um, the point you bring up about like the defensive teams, because typically... Early on in the season, anything post layoff, you tend to have lower scoring games a a little bit earlier before teams start to get into it. And I think that kind of does work to those team strengths, especially the Islanders and the Jackets. If if other teams are um, like Islanders and Jackets, not having a lot of top end scorers, so to speak, uh, and being able to play that grind it out type of game, there could be something there. I mean, it's not something I'm quantifying right now, I'll tell you that. So if there is, I I mean, I'm, I hope there's nothing there, <laughs> I'd actually say. But. Well,
1: yeah. I would include the stars there as well, except for the fact that, you know, they don't have Tyler Sagan or Ben Bishop to start the year. But I feel like those teams that, like, it'll be easier for them to navigate three games in three nights because they're splitting their minutes so evenly. You're not going to see, like, much of their detriment, I think, in a regular season where I'm kind of... Ripping my hair out, wondering why Denis Gurjanov and Rupe Hintz aren't playing more. Everyone's just playing like 15 minutes a night on that team. And it feels like they'll probably be fresher for it, I imagine. Um, obviously, unique circumstances in Dallas, especially given the fact that we don't even know when their season's going to start. But just using them kind of as an example of teams that front load their minutes versus kind of taking that more balanced approach
2: i wonder if we'll see some changes in coaching styles this year though based off of the season as well where you see coaches that have historically rode their their top guys for heavier minutes start to dial it back and play like a longer term game so i'm interested to see that for sure is is, um you know things that we've seen historically with certain coaches or teams and if that changes going into the year which i imagine it will and then i'm also interested uh, looking back on this at the end of the year. I feel like teams that are more well balanced are um, better set up for this type of season. Where a, a team that's very top heavy potentially loses a star for the course of three or four weeks, and and that just basically kills their entire season. So, mm-hmm. um, and there's so many things to really talk about in regards to this year, but um, man, it's it, it could be all over the place.
0: I wonder if. Uh... it's sort of the opposite though if they might ride their top players more because it's a shorter season i know it's condensed and whatnot but a guy like mcdavid he's playing 66 percent fewer minutes just from the virtue of going from 82 games to 56 games so he'll probably be fresher by the playoffs than he he normally would so i wonder if that's also an element there
2: yeah and then obviously how they're they're doing in the standings is going Mm -hmm. to impact their their play as well right i mean if edmonton is chasing which i think edmonton's gonna be battling for a playoff spot by the end of the year um probably forces them to ride those guys a little bit harder in, in every circumstance whether that's back to back or third game in four nights we have like some five and sevens this year which historically you don't see very much of so um i think yeah a lot of it's going to depend on on the situation that teams are in and i think that that you know, the same thing goes for goalie play, right? Um, where we will probably see teams take a little bit more of a balanced approach to start the season and then things will, you know, it's just life that you'll, you'll adapt based off of, um, of the situation that your team is in down the stretch.
1: Well, what do we think about trends of um, kind of familiarity with opponent, right? Like if you're playing someone eight times out of 56, but also maybe squeezing those in and you're playing three straight times against the same team, do you like, what are we expecting there in terms of potential adjustments or trends or what people are going to be doing differently?
0: You you want to feel this one, Rob?
2: It's a tough one. Like I, I know, I know pretty much with certainty that the majority of coaches in the league will ride like goaltender trends. So you might see like a certain goalie always playing against uh another team just because of his historical numbers against that team, whether it's a sample of four games or 20 games, it doesn't matter to most of these guys. So I think you will see like specific goalies matched up against specific teams pretty regularly. It's hard to do obviously with the schedule as well, but I think a lot of these teams are probably already going into the year, having their goalie starts planned out uh, maybe even for, for the course of the entire first month of the season saying, this is what we're going to do in these situations. And they've really, they've really, really, you know, gone down into detail from that perspective. But um aside from that, I mean I I I don't know how the I don't know how in-game strategy is going to change. I don't know if the teams even have time to really you know change their style of play over the course of this year with limited practice and you know some teams are potentially separating players and practices as well, not to give them um time with one another for potential COVID risks and stuff like that it, it's it is actually going to be a crazy year
0: yeah uh it's going to be interesting i think that's one of the things i'm looking into most this year because we usually have only like five games four games at the top of the matchup i guess board where toronto would normally play boston four or five times this year they'll play montreal edmonton calgary nine or ten times and i do wonder what that familiarity will look like if there is going to be something there where certain teams match up with others better and it shows up in the data because generally you don't really you care a little bit about prior games against the opponent but generally it's not going to be something that actually shows up and in the playoffs they have more time to scout the other opponent. They're right in their building. It's day after day, so you see that play out more. But during the season, I'm less sure, and I think this year will be interesting for it.
2: I I, I really think so too. I, I I'm very interested by the fact that you brought up playoffs because to me, betting the playoffs and regular season are are a different breed. Um, you know, Dom, we talk offline a lot, but like. I watched game one of capitals islanders last year in the playoffs and you know my numbers had those teams i had the capitals better going into that series to the point where i would have wagered on the capitals every single game in that series if i was using my regular season model but i could watch game one of that series and say washington has almost no chance to win this series (laughs) like they are going to get badly badly outplayed at five on five on five this entire series Um, and I I do think that there is something to team versus team that we typically don't have to uh, account for over the length of an 82-game season where you're playing pretty much everyone in the league, and now teams playing each other eight or nine times. I do think we are going to see some teams that just based off their style of play pose a problem for other teams, and it'll be more prevalent this season because of, of the way that the schedule is set up.
1: Well, we saw like Dallas definitively played Calgary, Colorado, and Vegas differently. Like they approached Mm -hmm. based on strengths and weaknesses strategically differently. Now I wonder, in a sense, I hope this is a one-year aberration and we get back to normal and there's not much to take from this year. But in another way, just this conversation has me thinking that this could be like one of the most informative seasons we've had in terms of Mm -hmm. being able to actually identify like systems and trends and what works and what doesn't versus various opponents, because we're going to see all these games stacked together in
2: such a short period of time. We should be able to quantify what travel is worth in the NHL this year versus having fans in arenas uh, versus just having um, last change. Like we had in in the playoffs last year. So I I agree with you, Dimitri. I think this is like a, it's a great learning opportunity this year that we're getting a bunch of scenarios that we've not encountered before now the challenge is that we're, we're still not going to have a, a huge sample by the end of the season right i mean it, it'll be meaningful but not something that we can set in stone but i i agree i think this is like a, a great learning opportunity this
0: season i kind of hope it's not an aberration i kind of i kind of like this i i know i'm usually like the guy who like wants complete fairness and i wrote uh before they resume the bottle bubble how ridiculous it was that Pittsburgh and Edmonton would need to play a buy-in considering they Mm -hmm. basically made the playoffs in the pause so it was kind of kind of screwed them over but I think if we know what the rules are beforehand something like they're doing this year seems like it would be very fun I know they always talk about building rivalries and having all these games within the division I think would be something that I would like to see going forward Mostly though, because I am just so excited for that Canadian division, and well, I think it'll be peak chaos. Of,
2: co- of course, we like this format, Dom. We're Leafs fans, like <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. If, if the Leafs were put with Boston and Pittsburgh and Philly, I'd I'd probably have like a little bit of a different vibe going into the year.
0: Maybe, yeah. I, but like that stuff changes every year, and I don't have any doubts that Vancouver and Edmonton are going to become those powers too. So it's not. Really, something that I'm thinking about in that way. I think it just would be. It is just so fun from a Canadian perspective to have everyone together.
2: Well, I mean, I, I to that, I would say, tell that to uh, Miami Dolphins, Buffalo Bills, and, and New York Jets fans uh, <laughs> who, who had the goat in their division for you know 15 years, like. Uh, I, I get it. Um, at least it's not four team divisions like the NFL. Yeah. I, I, I'm intrigued by it. It's not something that, like, personally, I'd love to see going forwards. I th- I think the same matchups will get stale at some point. Uh, I do. I think you'll just miss seeing certain teams play one another. Like I I will miss seeing Toronto and Boston and Toronto and Buffalo play in the regular season if it's only once or twice. Um, that's I mean that's just me. Everyone's entitled to their opinion on it but i i i know i obviously understand the reasons why this is happening and i don't question them um i'm just yeah i think i think i might get tired of seeing the same team play three nights in a row at some yeah.
0: point yeah for sure i i don't doubt that i think just in a if we were to do this again next year there we could still have room for those other games but yeah. have a predominantly division-based schedule yeah
1: yeah i'm with it um are there any other uh you know strategy or theory things that we should touch on before we get into actual um
2: bets for me the biggest one is just what is home ice worth in the nhl this year and i've i've done some work on european soccer leagues where teams are are traveling but there are no fans uh and the nba which we have a limited sample of so far where there's travel but no fans to see Um, Whether or not there still is a a home field um, or home court, and so far there is, it's just much, much smaller than historical, um, which kind of aligns with what I would like. I I believe travel is worth something like a team having to take a flight versus a team being at home makes a difference. Um, It's where we get into like the the scenarios of the back to back where that are played in the same venue, which you rarely Mm -hmm. ever see in the NHL does is the away team at a disadvantage playing the second of a of a back-to-back um in the same venue i i don't know so it's all, all these things that like you you have to take an educated guess going into the year and, and i'm go- going to do that um but it's really tough and challenging so uh, i mean yeah
1: well it seems like from what i've gathered from like listening to basketball podcast and stuff it seems like the players feel like you know, in the bubble, they did a good job of sort of making it feel like this kind of like spectacle in a way, right? Or like that was a really controlled environment. Whereas then you get to these empty rinks that aren't really as prepared for just having that one product there every single night. And it's kind of like depressing because it's just, it's got like an echo in it and there's no one there and it's just weird and it leads to weird results and kind of ties into what we were saying earlier. But I do think it, it will have a a bigger impact than the the bubble performance we saw because it was such a like controlled setting to the NHL's credit in terms of preparing it for what it exactly was.
2: Well, I I mean, I I went into the playoffs last year and I was wrong, completely wrong with my guess. but it was that there is going to be a home ice advantage because teams have, you know, the home team has the last change in hockey and there has to be some sort of fundamental advantage for the coach to be able to put up of the players that he wants to put out, in about 30% of the game uh, against the opposing team. The reality is that that wasn't the case. By the end of of the playoffs last year, it was pretty much determined that there was no home ice. in fact, there was an argument to be made that there was negative home ice (laughs) advantage in which like the coaches are so bad and don't know how to match or or, like overthink the game so much that it's costing their team. Um, So now like I have that in the back of my mind as well. Um, you you can't really compare just last year because it was a bubble. The teams weren't traveling. That's an added element this year as well. Um, ah, man, it's, it just becomes so challenging to quantify it. And on like, even the difference of, of 1% can be so impactful for your, your numbers as a whole, when you're, you're betting into markets that are as tight as the, the major league, uh, sports markets.
0: So, uh, man. I, I will say that I was convinced home ice was worthless. And I said, Rob, I don't think we should do home ice. He's like, no, there's home ice. I'm like,
2: the coaches have the change, man. That has got to be worth something. You're telling me. Uh, so, yes, I will. I will back that up. But I will say, Dom, I, I think I was quicker to get off of home ice. Yeah. Than, yeah. Like, it, it became the inverse argument by the end of the playoffs. I'm like, Dom, there's no there's no home ice here. Like we, I, And he's like, you know, no. Oh, there was like the last change.
0: So it was like... It was the, the sample size was, was so small that I wasn't ready until... Because I was tracking like what the home teams were winning, like compared to my numbers and my numbers were still like... Recognize
2: employees with Custom Ink. Show customer appreciation with Custom Ink. Outfit your teams with Custom Ink. Easily add your logo to your favorite products and brands at customink.com. Make Custom Ink your custom gear partner with great customer service quality products, and all-in pricing, along with personalized help when you need it and an easy-to-use website when you don't. All backed by a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Do it all today at custominc.com
0: It was still like in range that it just, I figured, okay, maybe I'm just betting the wrong away teams. And then it just kept going wrong. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to take this out. This is stupid.
2: i I think what was challenging is um for the playoffs last year i i started the playoffs really well like i i think of like the first 30 bets i made in the playoffs i won like 22 of them or something like that so even though i was factoring in like it felt like what i was doing was correct but then you slowly start looking into it and you're like oh no there's definitely something i'm accounting for here that is not a real factor but yeah hey everyone
1: i want to tell you about blue wire hustle a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at blue wire hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take their podcast to the next level or if you have always wanted to host a podcast but never knew where to start hustle is the perfect place for you as part of the program you'll receive personal cover art q a's of blue wire's top podcasters access to our community discord and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks and on top of that will help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all the other listening platforms where you typically get your podcasts. And the best part is, you'll get all of this for only $15 a month. That's essentially the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup without all of those perks. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance into this program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com join. Check out the description box for this podcast to find out more, but that's bwhustle.com slash join. Well, how do you, okay, this is kind of a theoretical thing, but I'm really curious because how do you balance the human element of sports betting? And so you had the example of the Islanders Capital Series, right? Your model saying the Capitals are the better team here. They should be winning these games. Then you watch it and you're like, all right this is it's just not it's not gonna happen the islanders have them beat for whatever reason whether it's strategic whether the capitals aren't taking it seriously whatever's going on um or like to even stretching it out for dom like year over year if you're super down on a team and they keep proving you wrong how do you how do you balance that like the past results in your relationship with them to just kind of like the pure math and what the model is spitting out to you and sort of with, like Not trying to tinker with it too much, because then you are kind of ruining the special sauce of the model.
0: I, I have a different answer from Rob, and that's just because I'm in the public sphere with this stuff, and my answer is I just write about it. If a, tea, if a fan base is telling me, I think your model is wrong about this team, I listen to them, and I watch the teams. I'm like, you know what? Maybe there's something here. I'll When I write about this team, I will say, the model doesn't like this team, but here's all this other stuff that I am watching and that I'm reading and that I'm listening. And here's why the model is saying something bad about this team. So for the longest time, that was the Washington capitals. And what is very clear is they play a very East West game and make passes that an XG model won't really do well with accounting for. And I do other stuff to account for that, but it might not be enough. So I'll, look at a player's point totals, his finishing talent, how much he actually drives goal differential. And that was all fine and dandy until last year when my model didn't like the Capitals at all. And I'm looking into it and I'm like, this this top six isn't doing anything. It's the bottom six that's really crushing things. I remember I was talking to Rob, he's like, You're, why does your model hate the Capitals? What's going on here? I'm like, have you seen like, their, their top six, bottom six splits? It's so weird. Like, do you really think that Richard Ponick and Travis Boyd are the ones leading the Capitals goal differential or what's going on here. And then over the second half, the Capitals started tanking playoffs. They look like they look terrible. And yeah. so I think there was something there, but I wouldn't be surprised if this year, the Capitals go back to being better with a new coach. Although I saw some interesting quotes about Laviolette wanting to play North South with this team, which seems strange.
2: I, I pretty much Approach it the exact same way, except I don't write about it. Like I, I do everything that Dom does, uh, except for me. It's it's in my best interest um, to keep things as private as possible um, for the most part. But yeah, it, it's why. Like, why are my eyes telling me something different from what my my model is saying? And it's just investigating that, right? What is causing this difference? Um, and I think once you just start digging into it, you can really start to understand where there's limitations in what you're doing with your model, but it, it allows for continuous improvement, right? Um, you can just start, like, I'm lucky enough that I'm a, I'm a horrible programmer myself, but I work with a partner who's extremely skilled in, in programming, and um, he can essentially backtest all of, of my theories for me. Where I'll I'll go to him and say this is you know not lining up. I think we should change these things, and he's able to simulate you know tons of seasons from the past, accommodating for that change and whether or not it improves our error metrics in the model. So, um, I, you know, it's pretty much the same approach Dom takes. I'm I'm very open to my model is not perfect. It's not, and it never needs to be. It's uh, again, it just needs to be better than what how other people are modeling games. That's mm-hmm. that's my goal and if if you're not looking for continuous improvement and not looking to challenge the the outputs of your model, then frankly you're you're going nowhere. I mean it, and I, I see it regularly and um you, you really need to understand what's happening and and admit when there's something you're not accounting for or maybe are accounting for that just doesn't make sense.
0: yeah, the goal is always to be the least wrong yeah. you're not you're not trying to be the most right, it's the least wrong and you need to be open and really in tune with what your model is doing and how it's calculating things and where it's blind spots might be. Like for me, I hate my goalie model so much. I hate it. It's so, there's just something that bothers me so much about like seeing some of the goalies rated higher than other goalies. And as I was was like halfway through writing previews, I'm like, I, I need to do something here. And I literally changed my goalie model halfway through writing my previews because I am an insane person. I did this over like a full day. I was like literally like slaving away at this. And what I essentially, the theory I had is that we have two main goalie numbers and that's goals saved above expected and goals saved above average. And our underlying assumption is that goals saved above expected is completely agnostic of defense. It controls for the goalie completely. And I, I, I don't think that's right. I think there's something in goal Saved Above Average that the goalies are doing that we're not accounting for. It's the same with the Capitals problem, where there's something in XG that's not accounting for things, and we need goals percentage to sort of figure it out. So it was a matter of figuring out what the ratio is between goal Saved Above Expect and goal Saved Above Average to sort of get a number I hated less.
2: Yep. I, I mean, I, I agree. Like, There are certain things that fundamentally when when you're modeling hockey, you just know are wrong. Like I've had a point last year, early last year, where I had Curtis McElhinney rated as a better goaltender than Andre Vasilevsky. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: I'm not as big a hockey fan as I I used to be, but I still watch games every night. Like that's not right. It's 100% not right. So like you, you have to say, what is accounting for this? I actually don't think that the public metrics that we have for Vasilevsky are really indicative of his true performance in general, especially when you're you're you know looking at the game, watching the game and and Vasilevsky to me very clearly passes the eye test. But that's the kind of stuff where it's like a lot of people will just run that and and publish that. like it's this is what my model says, like and mm-hmm. it's like no, like that that's that's not right. Um and I need to figure out why that's happening specifically. And how we, we go about adjusting that. And it's another thing where when you have that and you can you can watch the betting market um, and the way that lines move when changes happen in a game based off the news that becomes available. And if Curtis McElhaney's is starting for the Tampa Bay Lightning, the line is going to move 20 cents towards the other team you know, almost every time. So the market is considering him a substantial downgrade, and that doesn't mean that the market is always right, but these are people that are betting a lot of money on these games and a lot of money on their opinions, and it's worth something. And it's at least worth looking into to say, why why is this line moving against me every single time uh, Tampa Bay's backup goalie is in? So those are just like good examples of of things that you just always have to be progressive in thinking, I guess
0: yeah i i always call the goaltending issue the Vasilevsky problem because <laughs> he he looks amazing and then i had i had someone from an NHL team like confirmed to me like this offseason like yeah Basilevsky's like probably in a tier of his own i'm like you know what that this is this is what i needed this is yep. the step i needed to take to go in a better direction the model like still doesn't love Vasilevsky it just likes him more than it did before and that's that's fine for now um I had something else I want to say on that. <laughs> well, here,
1: here, I have something kind of related. Okay. Tangentially. um, you know, cause we're talking about the human element and stuff and modeling. Um, Rob, you must kind of run into this quite a bit with, with football. So I'll give you an example. Let's say there's a game on, on a Sunday and your model is telling you that a team should not be getting as many points as they are. Let's say they're one of the worst teams in the league, but you're like getting three free points or whatever. But at the same time, they might have a terrible quarterback and might be just an absolutely awful, dreadful team to watch. And you kind of don't want to be stuck there on Sunday watching them play going, oh my God, I can't believe I I committed to this. And and the reason why I bring that up is I think as we kind of spin forward to the over-unders and the point totals, I think they're pretty tight for the most part. I would say that the Red Wings one really sticks out to me as being way too loose in terms of how many free points they're giving you. But it is a team that won 17 of 71 games last year, got outscored by 123 and is going to be trotting Mark Stahl out there in a top four role. And you might get into the third week of the season and you're just kind of banging your head against the table wondering why you did it, even though the theory or the process or your model um, was correct in evaluating that they probably should have a higher over under than than Vegas projected them at.
2: It's a very good question. Um, my, my approach for NFL is not the same as NHL. So I'll focus more on the NHL for people that are here, but are listening. But um, just in general, I find that teams that are at the extreme end of the range, it's very challenging to make them as good or as bad as they actually are in general. I think that's where average and median comes into play in a lot of cases. Um, but we're not streaming this as video, even though we can all see each other. But I actually have this up on my desk. I'll show you guys. It says, don't bet on bad teams unless other bad team in brackets. Okay. And okay. this is like an NFL thing for me because I find it very difficult to make the New York Jets as bad as they actually are um, using the, the data that, that I have in general to work with. And um, I, I kind of this NFL offseason just went into a deep dive of like. These are all the historical bets I've made here. What if I stripped out all the ones that ended up being on really bad football teams and my ROI just literally <laughs> almost doubled? And I'm like, what have I been doing for years here? And I find that it's just very challenging to get to that point. And especially when we're looking at season win totals, for example, I, I project the Red Wings to be much higher than their season win total. I think their se- or season point totals like 41 and a half or something like that. I think it's 40, 42 and a half. Yeah. All right. And I, I come in somewhere around like 46 or 47, which is a, a substantial edge in terms of actual points. But there's so much that can go wrong for a bad team, um, especially a team later in the year that maybe that, like they they could be out of it very quickly. They get a lot of younger guys, more playing time. They start trading pieces away and things of that nature. And that's not accounted for a lot of times when people are making their, their preseason projection on a team. They're expecting that this is going to be the roster for the entire season, and I'm I'm going to simulate this out. Um, with that said, I I still have bet over on Detroit this year because there's enough of a margin there for me, and just in general, like the Red Wings were semi competitive when Jimmy Howard didn't start last year. I can't even believe how many games Jimmy <laughs> Howard lost. It, it is I I couldn't believe it when I looked it up, but it, yeah. it's absurd the amount of starts that Jimmy Howard lost for them. And even to like, to have Thomas Grice there, I mean, it's a monumental upgrade to have him for half of the games this season. So um, from that point of view, uh, I, I was confident in it or so. Sorry, I don't want to say confident in it. I decided as out. confident
1: as he can be. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I, I, the teams at the ranges are trouble. Usually
0: I, I wish I had that sticky note in 2016, 17, me and Rob go way back. Um, we've been talking about betting for a while now and I would say that I was betting on the avalanche, and he's like, What are you doing? Don't do that. I'm like, I'm gonna do it. And they lost, I think, 15 games in a row. And I think I bet on them every game, hoping that this would be the time they turn around and that the human element wasn't there. I didn't have the sticky note. Um, I think that would have really helped. I think I might do that actually. I might, I might have like professional sign made up and put it like above my TV. Like just so like, I really like hammer it home because I I do get burned a lot because I can't make the teams that bad. And it's so difficult. I remember last year with the Red Wings, I'm like, Oh, here we go again, betting on the Red Wings. And I definitely blacklisted them at one point, which I almost never do. But that team was so bad. I'm like, I need to do it because In general, I believe hockey is such a high-variance game that a team like the Red Wings can win. But that team was such a huge outlier that I just couldn't stomach it anymore. But there's a difference between this year's Red Wings and last year's. I think there was a lot of addition by subtraction that is going to really help them be at least somewhat better this year. I think... Over 41.5. I'm not. I can't do the math in my head, but that's probably a very, very low point total that would be very difficult to do on true talent alone. And they don't have Jimmy Howard anymore. They improved goaltending, as bad as Mark Stahl is. They had like five other defensemen that were just as bad last year, and now they only have one. So that's that's a big deal for me. And I think that's the biggest difference I have between the point totals and my own model. I'm a little higher than Rob, which is concerning for me, but. I think you just got to stomach those bad bets sometimes. It,
2: uh, it, the, th- the thing is, um, so for hockey, it's a little bit different in general. And um, to me, I don't, I don't mind betting on bad teams in hockey. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not happy.
0: To like an if, extent. You know,
2: if, I end, if, I'm, if I end up on, let's say, uh, I, I'm not showing an edge, thankfully, but if I end up on <laughs> Chicago against Tampa Bay in, the, in their first game of the season, I'm not, I'm not going to be happy. Like to, to end up on that side, but I'll bet it because there's so much variance in the sport in general. And I, I talked about it earlier, um, maybe about half an hour ago, but prior to trade deadline in general, the range is not really that large between these teams. It's more so late in the year where you get these motivational components where if I go back to when I first started betting hockey seriously, which I think was 2017, I had like an 18% ROI before trade deadline which is actually absurd it's the best season I would have had ever and if I just gave it up there it would have been the best season I've ever had but I just kept going and then betting on these teams that were you know out of the playoffs nothing to play for later in the year and lost a lot of money back and I made the same mistake the following year and I was just like what am I doing like some there, there's something I'm not accounting for here so this is like something that uh, I'm always thinking about and I think early on in the year it's fine. There is a motivational component to hockey, though, that is not captured by, I think, a lot of people and and their models later on in the year, which just leads them to continuously bet on these bad teams. Um, And, you know, historically, as betters are, that's why I say the NFL is very different than the NHL, where, like, in the NFL, Week 17, for example, where teams rest their starters uh, against teams that need to play to get into the playoffs, that's been, like, a very traditionally – profitable spot to bet on a team in hockey it's not so the markets are not not the same and it's not comparing apples to apples but yeah i mean we spent enough talking i think about (sighs) red wings on this uh this podcast
1: jimmy howard was 223 and two last year (laughs) with a minus 27 goal saved above expected i I
2: probably bet at least 15 of those losses same yep
1: i think there was a stretch where between red wings wins there was like six coaches fired <laughs> <laughs> and one of them wasn't detroit's no no oh, unreal unreal um all right yeah the red wings oh my god the red wings are one of my best bets is there any other teams that you 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 feel like um either the market is kind of wildly uh variant on or different than than, than you or Kind Of, like, do you feel like a team like the Avalanche is kind of getting exploited because they're such a trendy team and everyone wants to be on the side of cheering for them, or um, is there anything that kind of sticks out to you in terms of the, the team totals and over-unders?
0: The thing that sticks out to me is how much better they are. I remember back in the day, this was such an exploitable market because all the totals were so bad, and every year, like, my edges on these point totals have shrunk to the point where I'm barely even betting them anymore like Detroit is my best bet and I hate it and I think after that there's only a couple more I like I don't know what the Pittsburgh line is now but over 64 and a half I thought was good I think a lot of people are underrating the Penguins Sharks I I think there's the the human element there and I think Carlson's going to be the healthiest he's been in a while but I think 55.5 points is a little generous for them and then it wouldn't be a dom betting preview without saying bet the under on the Islanders
2: Uh, think, I, I agree with all three. I mean, they're, they're not my, my biggest edges, but I agree mm-hmm. um, in terms of the market, like being sharper, that's just happened across sports betting now, especially yeah. in the U S with regulation and just more people betting. And it, it's, it's much more difficult to win betting at sports. So that's not a surprise uh, for me. Um, 63 and a half on Vancouver. I like under there. I think yep. that's too high. Um, yeah. On them in general.
1: Uh, well, they played at a they played at a sixty three point three pace last year for fifty six games. So like we all think they're probably going to be worse just because they're thinner and they got worse
2: at net.
0: But yep.
2: yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, they are playing an easier schedule than they'll be playing last year. But are uh, they?
0: They were in the Pacific Division.
2: Oh, that's true.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's- yeah. I think do do we factor that in? Like for the Abs and the Knights, they have eight games against the Ducks, Kings, Sharks, and yeah. Coyotes. Yeah, yeah,
2: I, like, I, you're, you're simming the, you're simming this, yeah, as it is, right, Dom?
0: Yeah, I sim the schedule and I wrote an article on the Athletic of teams that have a better projected point total than their actual true talent, and the ABS were up there because of how weak their their schedule is, and I think I had them as like a 106 point team true talent wise, and I have them projected for 109 or 110 point pace. Yeah.
1: Yeah, uh, I agree with that.
2: I'm just—is there anyone else, Rob? There's a few. Uh, like, I like Dallas under um, at 66 and a half. Um, already with the condensed schedule, injuries to start the season. Luckily for them, they do have a, like, a good goaltending tandem, and and that ha- has to be factored in this year. As teams that have two good goalies in general, but with Bishop starting hurt, I think that plays a factor. So those are the teams that I'm. Uh, I would say like the lowest on relative to market highest Detroit uh, I like Carolina over 68 and a half which yep. seems to be trendy and it's a little bit scary but Carolina to me is so deep um, as long as I mean they, they lost Dougie Hamilton for a large stretch of uh, time and previously and that that's hurt them but overall to me Carolina is a very deep team and like a realistic cup contender that I don't think a lot of casual Mm -hmm. average fans would consider a realistic cup contender i'm i'm surprised i haven't
1: seen more trendy picks of uh carolina winning that division over tampa bay like especially in the regular season at least until kucherov comes back for the playoffs but i feel like just motivation wise and depth wise like there's a case to be made that carolina should be right there with him i think
0: i i don't love their depth i think well well once they move Special call up to the second line, like their top six looks really strong, but I want to see Martin Netches actually blossom into the player we know he could be first, and a lot of the other players I don't love, like they don't turn expected goals into goals very well, like Jordan Stahl is the king of underperforming in that that's way
2: that's al- that's always been the problem for them i I think very yeah. similar. um they're on the opposite end of the spe- spectrum um
0: on of washington the,
2: of Washington, yeah, Washington was always the the team that seemed to be overperforming their XG and Carolina was the team that, I mean, granted, if you watch Carolina games, they dominate play, but they're also just shoveling a lot of garbage at the net. Um, And and like you talked about the East to West with Washington, like we all know about like the Ovechkin one timer and like that's stapled into our brains. Carolina doesn't really move the puck cross ice a whole lot. It's more so just like drive the net and get it there. And um, so I think that plays a factor into it.
0: I think they improved a little in, in that regard last year, especially with Ajo and Teravainen. But definitely in prior years, that was a big issue for Carolina.
1: I, I went into this exercise thinking um, I was going to be all over the Chicago under because I think there's a case that they're going to be the worst team in the league this season, especially if Tate mm-hmm. doesn't play. But their line got dropped to 51.5 the last I checked. And that's like that's really low. But I will say... Going from Crawford and Leonard to Delia <laughs> and Malcolm Subban is like catastrophically bad I think and there's a, like they're going to be the worst defensive team in the league with the worst goalie tandem most likely I mean you can't really project that performance but I just think like even their best players right now are horrible defensive liabilities I just I, I can't imagine there's going to be a lot of games where they give up less than 4 goals.
2: Yeah, I mean i'm at I'm at fifty one point one points for Chicago this year. Subjectively, that feels too high. And I feel like the ceiling on that team is very low. Like there's a lot uh, that's probably uh, I guess it's all factored into the sim altogether in general, but i'm not, I'm not high on Chicago whatsoever. And when I was jo like, I was, when I said Chicago playing Tampa in the first game and crossing my finger, I'll bet Chicago and crossing my fingers that I don't, because I really won't like it. Like I really won't like it. I'll be, that'll be a depressing first bat of the year.
0: I think I have to rerun my model. Cause I last time was like a week or two ago and Chicago's probably had like 17 injuries since, <laughs> but I, I am higher than 51 on them. I do account for some of the players who don't have NHL games. I think Ian Mitchell is someone Chicago Blackhawks fans are are very high on, and my model seemed to like him based on his NHLE, which is a terrible way to model, but it's it's the only way you can really especially model for rugby. a defenseman. Yeah, especially for a defenseman, but at the same time, uh, they're they're high on him. And I don't think the Blackhawks are are that bad. I think their first line could be very exciting, and they don't have any terrible defensemen in terms of like overall value. They're just—they don't have any good defensemen. I think that's the biggest Chicago Blackhawks problem. I think it might be exacerbated by the goaltending this year, but we'll see. That's the problem for me. Is that Chicago? We know. Well, I don't want to say we know
2: anything going into the year, but we know Chicago is very much like a trade chances type of team, right? Yeah. That's what they're—they're going to do, and they frankly won a a playoff series against Edmonton because Corey Crawford stole it for the most part, and. I unless Delia like really surprises in some form and turns into, I mean, it's possible. It's entirely possible. Um, We have seen, you know, colleagues that we don't have a a large sample on that have excelled in limited amount of games. Andrew Hammond would ring a bell for me um, Mm -hmm. in the past, but uh, I I just, I just don't see that style of play ending well. And I'm not sure that they have the players to play any type of style. style. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I was looking at some of the the player props and, uh, you know, award stuff, obvious. Well, I mean, kind of pivot to that a bit here. But I wonder if, like, do we need to be accounting for the fact that I feel like the North Division, the Canadian Division, is like the best possible scenario if you're a star offensive player? Because you're probably playing against... Just think about the teams you're going to be playing on a regular basis, whether it's Toronto, Ottawa, Vancouver, um, Winnipeg, although obviously hella bucks in that. But it feels like there's going to be an environment there for a lot of goals to be scored. And I wonder if the point totals and goal totals or the rocket Richard odds for like um, Austin Matthews account for that yet.
0: I I'm not sure if they do, but I know a lot of projections from like, cause I do fantasy projections as well. I don't think a lot of people factored that in and someone tweeted it to me. I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. I should do that. So I, I did that. And if you see any edges on players from the North Division, that's probably why. I had, I think McDavid projected for two or three more points, Matthews for another goal or two, and it's just from playing some of the worst defensive teams in the league. The goaltending isn't overtly strong, other than Hellebuck and Markstrom, and depending on how you feel about Carey Price. Uh, so yeah, there's there's a lot, there's a big market for. North division players to exceed their totals. There's also a market for West division players to underplay their totals. And that's probably not expected. You're probably thinking Nathan McKinnon versus San Jose, LA and Anaheim. 21 times a year. I don't know how many times they play, but sign me up. Right. And the issue is that other than San Jose, there is not a bad defensive team in the West. And that probably means more or fewer goals for, for Colorado, It might mean more wins, but it'll be closer wins and tighter games because they have to play Vegas, they have to play St. Louis, they have to play Minnesota, who's always a great defensive team. Arizona has that strong goaltending duo, and Anaheim has John Gibson. So that's something that really does need to be accounted for, and I'm not sure if the markets have or not.
2: So the markets have, Mm -hmm. candidly. They have as soon as you released your (laughs) projection So this is what happens. I, have, I, I have always have to message Dom on the side asking him when he's going to first release his projections so that I can get bets in beforehand. But um, the markets we see now are significantly different from what they first opened up as, um, where there was honestly like insane value to be had all over the place. Because I, I do think that there's no real market specialist. In in hockey right now, like it's not really a major focus for sportsbooks in general. They can open up hockey props at at very small limits, like literally hundred dollar limits. So there's not a lot, li- not a lot of liability there. As soon as Dom's numbers come out, whether it's just it, the sportsbooks themselves adjusting it or people start betting based off of of that, which is probably the more likely scenario, um, then we just start to see things move into range. So um there's still some value to be had out there but the prices like now relative to what they were pre dom release um are very different
1: i don't know though like i think mcdavid's point total was still like 80 and a half and and that's high but i would not feel comfortable being on the other side of that let's say Mm -hmm. um so i don't know like it's almost like what we were saying about with the two extremes and the ranges where it's like, it's really hard to account for what that climate really could be like, even adjusting for the fact that it probably will be uh, inflated scoring
2: wise. What I particularly noticed in just looking at odds today was the, the the gap between McDavid and uh, Nathan McKinnon in odds now relative to when they were first posted. So, like, the first Art Ross odds I saw early in the year had McKinnon very high, like neck and neck with McDavid, and now they don't, um, not even close. Um, so, I, I think that is starting to, like, again, Dom is simulating an actual schedule, so he once those projections go out, it's accounting for strength of schedule, and I, I think just a lot of people piggybacking that in, in market to get the prices to where they are now. That's not to say that some of these can't be beat now, um, mm-hmm. but- yeah significant value uh, or significant changes i should say in, in these markets
0: what did mcdavid start at because i just opened up my file and i see that i have him at 84 points so if he's still at eighty and a half, then that's there's still room there
2: so uh, the player scoring props markets i believe have been more recent like they didn't mm, okay open up until a week ago or so but the trophy odds oh yeah up for six yeah. eight weeks
1: i will i will say though I don't know what McDavid's odds are for the heart. I feel like he would have to do something insane to win it, though, because it's such a narrative award. Um, I feel like for McKinnon, I think he's like plus 500 for the heart. And considering he finished second twice in the past three years, is probably going to be on the best, trendiest team in the league. And there's this like growing groundswell sentiment to anoint him as the number one player in the world. I feel like the standards for what he has to accomplish offensively are wildly different than what McDavid does to win that award.
2: Mm-hmm. I agree with you, but to me, it's as simple as if the Oilers make the playoffs, I think McDavid wins the heart. Because I think it's very likely that he's going to lead the league um, in total points. Unless he's Yeah. So I, I like I agree I agree with everything you're saying, Dimitri. And I think that's one one important thing to take a look at when you're betting on awards. There are some awards that are just handed out for the actual stats themselves, like the Rocket or Sharp. I mean, you're just projecting goals. But the Norris, right? Uh, the Hart, the Vezina, these are voted on by people. So you have to like account for how you think voters would vote in those scenarios. And to me, it's I think it's almost a, a shoe in that if, if Edmonton gets into the playoffs, which I think they will, uh, that McDavid ends up winning the Hart.
0: Yeah, and he's playing in that North Division. He'll get more goals, goals and points. I think the other thing is McDavid is one of those guys. And... We saw when Crosby was not named the best player in the world, what he did the year after. He made sure that no one ever questioned him again. And I think McDavid has that same sort of unique drive you see in the best players across sport, where he saw McKinnon in the playoffs. He saw Dreisaitl win the Hart and Art Ross, his teammate. And he sees what everyone's writing about him. He came off a lengthy rehab just to even start last year. He's going to be much healthier. I think, I think he puts up the best season he's ever had this year. That's what I am thinking this year.
2: I I love Dom going down the the statistically savvy (laughs) analytics going down the narrative street.
1: Um, I agree with you though, Dom. Maybe we watched too much last dance, but I agree. Um, I will say (laughs) I was looking at the awards odds and the Norris one. I actually had to, refresh my browser three times because Charlie McAvoy was at plus 2800 and ahead of him was Ryan Graves. And I was like, all right, I know people are high on the Colorado Avalanche, but what, (laughs) what set of circumstances would have to happen for like the fifth best defenseman on the Colorado Avalanche to win the Norris? And I was like, there's, there's something's off here. So I don't know. I think that was my, my favorite that I saw. Is there anything that really sticks out to you as kind of a fun long shot prop?
2: Um, not necessarily long shot. I will say Charlie McAvoy opened at like 66 to one. Yep. So his odds have oh, yeah. actually been cut in half. It would, that, this is what I'm talking about. Like everyone's like, oh, you know, you, you can't beat the books and 99% of betters lose. Vegas wasn't built overnight. But a lot of these props, like they are definitely beatable when you see, st- like, I'm not saying McAvoy is going to win the Norris, but that's obviously yes. Like, uh, but at those odds. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Um, for me, the t- Quinn Hughes stands out 16 to one for Norris. Um, it would be a pretty big leap, obviously, um, but I can see him putting up a lot of points. People who vote on Norris might be driven by a defenseman that puts up a lot of points. Good story. Um, what like, am I in love with it? No. I mean, if you're looking to to bet a flyer though, like take a flyer on on uh, a defenseman, that's probably what I'd say
0: now. I I'm going down narrative street once again. It's the Norris. We know how we're living
1: when when did you buy real estate on Narrative Street? <laughs>
2: With all the Bitcoin profits. Yeah.
0: I, I, I love the term narrative street. I'm gonna make sure I use that all year. That could just be our thing. The three of us just like saying, it's like, is it a thing? I
1: think like it's a football thing. I feel like I've heard that on like football podcasts. I've never heard it.
0: I,
2: I I I honestly I might have coined it.
0: Okay. I I You're a visionary. That,
2: I can't say that I I, I did. <laughs> but I've been using Narrative Street for like going on a decade now okay so yeah it's possible that i've coined it
0: this is the big year for narrative street because i'm gonna i'm gonna make it so um the norris is all about it being his turn and we saw what happened in the playoffs uh with seth jones he played an hour and people didn't really care how good that hour was i think if he is anywhere in the top 10 in scoring he's gonna be nominated and Columbus makes the playoffs. That's also an important factor on narrative street. But he has—he's got a lot of overwhelming sentiment to anoint him.
2: Oh man! I mean, I mean, there is a scenario here. So I, I bet Seth Jones, but only because I—I I don't want Dom like telling <laughs> me at the end of the year, like I told you, you should have bet Seth Jones. <laughs> so, like, I did bet Seth Jones. There's a scenario where, like the Leafs, I, I, I'm a Leafs fan. I'll put it out there. I'm not trying to be a homer here, but where Morgan Riley gets a ton of points this year against the defenses that he's facing. He's 20 to one The Leafs, Like when you, when you talk about the gap or at least what people view as the gap between the top team and the next best team within the division, people think the Leafs are going to run away with that division. If they do. And he puts up a lot of points. I think he's most certainly in the conversation this year.
0: Yeah, and he'll look more, quote-unquote, defensively responsible playing right. next to TJ Brody. That that too.
2: Yeah,
1: but he does have to play Connor McDavid like eight times after oh, McDavid man. took his soul in a game last year, so
0: that'll I be guess, a tough one. Thing, I don't know. Jake Muzzin's going to yeah. play Connor McDavid, and people aren't going to remember that.
1: That's true. I, I'd be more interested in, like, I think Matthews' is plus is 1,400 or something for the heart, especially mm-hmm. now that he's going to be killing penalties. Like, all of a sudden he's been yeah. good at like his defensive metrics have been good, but now that he kills penalties, we know he's good at defense. And yeah. once you bring that into the equation, I mean, that's yeah. the, that's the, that's the total package there. Yeah. Um, all right, well, uh, let's get out of here. I think we can put a ball on it. Um, I'll let you guys go. John, you can go first, uh, plug some stuff. Where can people check you out and, and all that good stuff. And then we'll let Rob go after.
0: Uh, I just wrote so many things for athletic, <laughs> so many things. Uh, a season preview on every team uh top 100 players i made Harmon write my best bets article because i just didn't have time so they're all there um yeah just google my name i'm sure you can spell it. it's really easy and uh should all be there
2: rob what uh where can people check out you can just follow me on twitter at rob Pizzola. It's double z for the americans double z for the canadians Um I don't really have anything to promote, honestly. I just I just bet. Hoping to have a good hockey season, hoping Bitcoin doesn't fall apart and that's pretty much uh my life at this point.
1: You should be promoting uh Narrative Street and the origin story.
2: (laughs) I'm gonna I'm really gonna have to look back into that because I used I used to work at the score obviously and I used to write football articles and I think that's where narrative street first started but I don't think that they're still published on site anymore. So I don't know. I don't know how I can trace back like the first time that I used narrative street. I should have trademarked it. I should have. I mean, everyone uses it now. The Dom never everyone uses it.
1: Oh, Dom's going to be sprinkling into every article this year. Every article. Um,
2: all
1: right, guys, thanks for taking the time. This was a blast and uh, enjoy the season and good luck. And we'll, uh, we'll chat sometime down the road.
0: Yeah. Thanks for having us, man.
2: at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash